Happy Father's Day. Man, it seems just like yesterday that we were celebrating Mother's Day. The institution of the family is one that God's, He ordained the family, He created the family, and it is definitely one of the greatest gifts He ever gave us was that of the family. Some of you might be familiar with Harper Lee or her, her work called To Kill a Mockingbird. You remember that book? I think everybody back in my day in school had to read that book with Atticus Finch and all those characters. But here's a quote from a passage in that book. It says, You can choose your friends, but you sure can't choose your family. And they're still kin to you no matter whether you acknowledge them or not. And it makes you look right silly when you don't. And that's the truth. Family is what God gives us. You know, we, we, we were born into whatever family we were given. And some uh, were maybe not literally like myself. I was born, but the family that God gave me was a different family through adoption. Or, or today, families are, are being brought together in so many different ways, but no truer words have been spoken. But I would like to take it one step further. The institution of the family was ordained by God from the very first moment when he took a lump of dust and blew his breath, his Holy Spirit, into that dust and created Adam. But the moment Adam was created, Father's Day began. Amen? That is, where, that is where it originates. And then, not only did he create the father, but of course we know that he created Eve, his soulmate, so that they could begin a family together. And the Bible clearly states the importance of the father. The father is the point man that, that sacrificially loves his wife. That, that teaches his children to love God. And God demonstrates his love for us through our families. For most of us, we were very fortunate, as, as Tammy was sharing earlier about her family, we remember our fathers, our grandfathers, men in our life that, that taught us about God, that, that showed us God's love. And I know that there are some in here that did not have that. And I understand because in the Old Testament, God says that he is the father to the fatherless. That there are some people that didn't have a great dad on earth. But because God is our heavenly father, he has been that to them. But God demonstrates his love for us through our families. As long as everyone is seeking God's will and God's purpose in that family. However, fathers, as we know, are not perfect, and neither are their families. Why is that? Because sin entered the world, and once it entered the world, remember where it entered, between Adam and Eve. The first place that Satan attacked was the family. He brought himself between Adam and Eve and God. And so sin wedged itself between Adam and Eve, which eventually drove a wedge between them and God. And Satan knew that if he could strike the father, Adam, with sin, that he could begin to influence all of creation. Because of this fall, fathers need Jesus. Because of this fall, mothers need Jesus. Sons, daughters need Jesus. Folks, we all need Jesus because of the fall of sin. Everyone needs Jesus to return to that close fellowship with God that he created for us 
before sin destroyed that relationship. Now, what would you say, I'm just wondering, what would you say if I could tell you today that I have fit you into the foremost expert on relationships? And the foremost expert on someone that this person can change your life. And I've given you a 30-minute time slot with them. And best of all, it's free. What would you say? That's too good to be true, preacher. But I'm telling you what, listen, that sounds like a cheesy way to introduce this, but this is the absolute fact. Over the next few minutes, we're going to be looking in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, because my friend, you are in luck today because you have been specifically selected for this special offer through the providence of God by you being here this morning as we look in Proverbs 3 to hear the wisest man on earth as a father give his son fatherly advice regarding wisdom. So as we read this passage, you can see a definite pattern here. If you look at them, it's the pattern followed. The steps taken by a father provides insight for the son. How many times did my dad say, well, son, you ought not to do that because of this reason. Now, when I was a teenager, I thought he didn't know what he was talking about. And as I got older, I realized he knew exactly what he was talking about. But I remember back when I took math in school, the math teacher would spend the entire class time teaching us how to figure out a, a, a question, an equation, and then instructing us to take the, she would go through all the, the the even number problems, and then what would she do with the odd problems? You remember? That was homework. You get do the even in class, do the odd questions for homework. And the even questions, they even had the answers in the back of the book. But no, not for us. We had the odd ones. But the reason I say that is as you look at this passage, we see two things here. We see a command and then a promise. We see, if you look, in verse 1, there is a command. In verse 2, there is a promise. Verse after verse, in this passage, all of the odd verses, odd-numbered verses, they are commands. The only time it spills over is in verses 5 and 6. But the odd verses are commands. And then the even verses are the promises that we receive from those commands. Wouldn't it be great to read this passage and only apply the even verses? Get God's promises verse after verse after verse? That's what America wants today. That's what Christianity wants today. We want all the promises of God without having to keep the commands to get them. And what we see here is that about the promise is that the value in the promise is not found in what we receive from it but what we went through to get it. Folks, life is a process. The reason that we enjoy the blessings of God, the reason that we enjoy the promises of God, is because we had to go through things to realize that. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know the grace of God until we received it. We didn't know the love of God until we received it. We didn't know forgiveness of our sins until we received it. We had to go through things. And now, as Christians, God commands us to act in certain ways and that if we do that, then this is the byproduct. And so we see here promises. So the first thing I want us to look at in verses 1 through 12, we see that as Solomon is talking to his son, 
he is telling him the first area is to entrust God with everything. I could give you advice today that I could get no better than what God gives us in His Word. is to entrust God with everything. Let's read verses 1 through 12. He says, My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commands, for they will bring you many days of full life and well-being. Never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. And then here's a very popular passage that many of you have probably heard before. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart and lean on your own understanding, right? Oh, man, I almost got you on that one. No, it says, trust the Lord with all of your heart. Every fiber of your heart. Trust the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right path. If you don't think about God in all your ways, He will not work in all of your ways. You understand that? That's what this verse is saying. If you give half-hearted devotion to God, you're going to get half-hearted benefits. If you live... If you give God glory on Sunday and live like the devil during the week, you're going to have glory on Sunday and you're going to have the devil all during the week. Okay? All of our hearts, all of our understanding is focused upon Him. Don't consider yourself to be wise. (laughs) I wish I'd have read that and understood that when I was a teenager. Don't consider yourself to be wise, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing to your body and strengthening for your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Understand, folks, this was the richest man in the world, the wisest man in the world, saying, whatever you do, make sure that you give your first fruits to God. And in verses 11 and 12, he says, do not despise the Lord's instruction And do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father, the son he delights in. Mm. Have to talk about discipline. Well, we'll get there in a minute. But as we go back and look at these passages, in verses 1 through 4, he's telling his son, teach the Bible, live the Bible, and pass on the Bible. In the very first verse of chapter 3, he says to, to keep it, in your heart, the psalmist says, Thy word that I have hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. It's not enough to memorize verses in our mind, but we have to internalize them in our heart. And if we are going to entrust God with everything in our life, we need to know how to do that. And we know how to do that, not from a preacher, not from someone on TV, but we know that they can help and they're coaches. But folks, this is the instruction manual. This is the playbook. And he's saying right here that, that folks, if, if this is a prop in your home for when somebody comes over and you like them to see that you have a Bible on the shelf, you're not going to get much out of this. If this is something that you pick up every Sunday and then put it down and pick it up next Sunday, you're not going to get a whole lot out of this. Because it says, in, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And he will direct your paths. Folks, we need to teach the Bible, live the Bible, and pass on the Bible in our teaching. We need to keep it in our heart. And we need to keep 
God's laws because it literally says in this passage I just read that if you keep God's laws, you will live a healthier life. Literally. You said, preacher, is that right? Absolutely. Because I know people that have held sin, and maybe some of you are holding on to sin, or holding on to uh, some type of anger, or something that God has told you, let go of it, and you say, but I can't. It's killing you. It's killing you. If you want to live a healthier life, live according to God's Word. In verses 5-8, through eight, we see that we must trust God over ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, as I said a moment ago. Half-hearted trust leads to half-hearted devotion, which leads to an unfulfilling spiritual pursuit of God, which is based on being good enough. Folks, if you do not acknowledge God and you half-heartedly follow Him, you are going to live a life in your mind of never being good enough. And that is where Satan gets you. It's not about you being good. It's about Jesus being good and changing your lives. Folks, this is not healthy nor biblical. It says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, that for though you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Folks, you can try to build a ladder to heaven and you will fail Every single time. You might think that you are one rung away from the pearly gates because you are so good. But you are still one rung away. Nothing reaches God's love. Nothing grants us eternal life. Nothing gives us a relationship with Jesus Christ but through the grace of God Himself. Amen? Think about all your ways. That means all. All means all. Now, also, when it says that he will guide you on the right paths, you might have heard of an author, her name is Elizabeth Elliot, and she tells of two adventurers who stopped by to see her, and they were all loaded with equipment for the rainforest in the east of the Andes forest. And they sought no advice, just a few phrases to converse with the Indians. She writes, Sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me, confident, we think, well-informed and well-equipped, But has it occurred to us that with all of our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? These folks, it's kind of, I remember when I was a Boy Scout and we went on a camping trip. We went to the Boy Scout store. Man, that was awesome. Backpack, canteen, little pouches to put stuff in that won't get wet. I mean, I thought I had everything. I mean, you know, I had everything the money could buy to get ready for that hike. Then we started the hike. That was work. And, uh, you know, not to be crass, but I didn't pack. I forgot one very important thing that you wouldn't think about. Toilet paper. I'm just saying. So my, my, my scout guide was very helpful in showing me uh, substitutes. But anyway, moving on from that, I thought I had everything. I went and bought everything you could have, but I still had to do the work, and there were awesome things that I had not seen. Folks, just like these two folks that were going over into the the Andes forest that thought they had everything, they weren't coming to this person to get wisdom from them. They were just showing them how, how well they had prepared. 
Folks, listen, if we come to God and tell them and feel like that we have got all that we need and that we don't need Him, that we've got this covered, we will be just like these explorers that, that go to the forest and they are lost and they are hurt because they thought they had everything that they could think of. Just like when I went on the camping trip, I thought I had thought of everything. But sometimes you miss the most important things when you depend on yourself. Trust the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Folks, God is not a, a, a GPS unit. God is not a map. God is not a brochure that tells you about things that you can experience. He is your guide that walks side by side with you, step by step, guiding you in every step that you take. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Well, again we see the theme that God's Word will lead to a healthier life in verse 8. And then let me just say something about verses 9 and 10. Honor God with your possessions. This was the man who had everything. Anything he wanted. He was so rich that he could actually have ice in his drinks. Do you realize how stinking rich that was back then? He would have, he would have servants climb up mountains and get these huge ice blocks and bring them down for a party just so he and his guests could have a good old glass of ice sweet tea. It's in the South. I'm sure it was sweet tea, right? But he could have anything that he wanted. But yet here he says here that in verses 9 and 10, honor God with your possessions. And he talks about the first fruits. Well, let me, let me go here just for a second. What does tithing or giving our first fruits do for us? Well, the first thing we see according to this passage is that it honors God. When we give God the first fruits of what we have, show God in a tangible way that everything we receive is by Him and for Him. You see, giving God His first shows that our faith is rooted in Him. Folks, I say this all the time and I'll say it again. You want to know where your faith is? Look at your checkbook and your calendar. And they will show you where your heart is. Folks, God does not need your tip. God, called, let me ask you this. Do you want God's leftovers? Or do you want His first fruits? It goes two ways. So, it honors God when we give Him our first fruits. Number two, it teaches us to appreciate what we have. Then we understand that if we give God His first fruits, everything else God has given us to use for His glory. And it also, the third thing it does is that it focuses us to spend time and resources in building the kingdom rather than building our own. Listen, whether you make a dollar a week and tithe ten cents, or you make a thousand dollars and tithe a hundred dollars, whatever it may be, God knows your heart, just like the widow's might. God knows what you can give and what you can't. And listen, I enjoy eating, and I enjoy us keeping the power bill on and all that stuff, and, and God has blessed our church. But when I preach about tithing, it's not so that we can get more money. It's so that you can be honest and honor God in your life because giving is an act of worship. It's not about the bank account. It's about the heart. And he's saying here 
his wisdom, he is saying, if you are going to entrust God with everything, that means your time, your will, and your money. And he says in number four, again, I can't say this enough, it honors God. I would like to say all my life that I've been a perfect tither, but there were times when I was not. And when I did, it about ruined me. Not only financially, but spiritually as well. Next point. Trusting God means accepting His discipline. Man, I hated that part at the end where he says in verse 11, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son. But you know what? No one likes to be told when they're wrong. Especially in these days. Nobody wants to say that someone else is wrong. But God knows this world will hurt those who don't keep His word. God knows that that this world does not play safe with Christians. We saw that just last week. We've been talking about it all morning. This world is evil. How do we survive in an evil world? It's by reading His words and trusting God with everything, and gaining His wisdom. And then when God corrects you, it is because He loves you. Let me say this about God's discipline. Asking God to not discipline us would be us asking Him to love us less. Why does a father discipline his child? Why does a mother discipline her child? Why do we have authorities like police that discipline us? When we break laws. Why do we have these things? Because they love us and they want what's best for us. I have been on the receiving end of some of God's whippings. Okay? And, but I walked away from them holding closer to Him and learning that I better not do that another time. God disciplines us because He loves us. If God is not disciplining you, you're either perfect or you're oblivious to the sin that you have in your life. But we also see that wisdom brings happiness, not the other way around. In verses 13 through 26, he says, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left Riches and honors. Her ways are pleasant, and all her paths peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. The, the Lord founded the earth by wisdom and established the heavens by understanding. By his knowledge, the watery depths broke open and the clouds dripped. Maintain your competence and dis- discretion. My son, do not lose sight of them. What do you say? Hey, son, keep your eye on the prize here. This is the halftime, this is the halftime speech that the coach is giving. No, he's saying, son, look, eyes up here. Understand this. He is saying in the middle of this verse, maintain your competence and discretion, my son. Don't lose sight of them. They will be life for you and the adornment of your neck. Then you will go safely on your way. Your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you, when you will lie down and your sleep will be peaceful, do not fear sudden danger or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from a snare. We see here that we must not only entrust God 
we must love him and we must love godly wisdom. Many scholars, if you go back and you look at Proverbs 7 through 9, we see that Solomon is talking to his son about the evil, adulterous woman. And many scholars believe that, that Solomon just kind of took his son and pulled him over to the window and looked out and saw a transaction of a woman of the night being carried on while he's telling them these things. And in here, he personifies wisdom as a beautiful woman. If there's anybody that knew anything about women, it was Solomon, amen? 300 wives, 700 concubines? He had a full dance card, you know what I mean? And he's talking to his son, so of course his son is going to pay attention when he's talking about women. So he's saying that, that, that wisdom is like a beautiful woman. And he personifies wisdom as a beautiful woman. But folks, as we come to the New Testament, wisdom is personified through Jesus Christ. We become wise because of Jesus Christ being in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But it is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became God, given wisdom for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We become wise in the things of God because of Jesus Christ that is within us. If you know people that are trying to disprove God and think that, that we are out of our minds and they don't understand what we're going through and they're not wise to what God is doing, here's your answer. You can't know anything about something you don't possess. There's nothing that drives me crazier than someone telling me that they liked a movie or didn't like it based on what they heard everybody else say and they never saw it. We are wise because of what Jesus Christ does through us. But our wisdom is limited. God's wisdom is limitless. It's like I remember years ago, do any of y'all have any of those Chilton car manuals? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys might. The Chilton car manuals, oh man, they were the best thing in the world. You go to the auto parts store, and it'd be a book about like that thick. This is before YouTube, okay? Now you get YouTube, you can fix anything, all right? But before YouTube, you had to buy these books. And when I had my, uh, I can't, was it a 1980 Chevrolet Monza? Man, that thing was, bless its heart. But you know what? I learned how to work on cars with it. Because I think, uh, I got very proficient at changing water pumps. And I'd get that manual out, and it would show every design, every bolt, every nut. Every screw, every move that you had to make to, to change these things. Folks, it was just like this. I could have gone there and said, oh, yeah, there's a water pump. I'll just start pulling stuff off till I get to it. I might have got to it, but it would have been a lot costlier and taken a lot more time than it should have been. Folks, we need to understand that our wisdom is limited. I, I might think I could look at a car and know how to fix it, but i got to go to the manual. We might think we know how to live a Christian life, but even the strongest Christians, even Billy Graham reads the Bible every day for instruction. So don't think that you're beyond that. We all need wisdom. And then also we see that we need to treat others fairly. In verses 27 through 35, excuse me, 27, yeah, 27 through 35, we see this. When it is in your power, don't withhold good from the one whom which it is due. Don't say to your neighbor, go away, come back later, and I'll give it to you tomorrow when it, when it is there with you. 
Don't plan any harm against your neighbor, for he trusts you and lives near you. Don't accuse anyone without cause when he has done no harm. Don't envy a violent man or choose any of his ways, for they are devious and detestable to the Lord. But he is a friend to the upright, the Lord's curse on the household of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks those who mock, but give grace to those who are humble. The wise will inherit honor, but he holds up fools of dishonor. Folks, basically what we see here is that we need to pay it forward. Remember, the greatest command is what? Love God and love others. That's what Jesus said. Love God, love others. If we are going to entrust our lives to the Lord, if we are going to depend upon His wisdom, that means that we have to treat other people the way we wanted God to treat us. Basically, He's saying in this passage, if you can do good for someone else, do it. That'd be like me looking for that last piece of cake at one of our socials. And somebody coming up and me say, Preacher, we're all out. And they took half of it and wrapped it up and got ready to take it home. If I'd have found that half, I'd have been mad. <laughs> you don't hide town cake from the preacher. But no one does that. And you wouldn't do that. But if we have something to give to somebody else that God has blessed us with, Wisdom says, God's Word says, God Himself says, we ought to give it to Him. Also, God works for the righteous and against the wicked. If you are trying to live your life for the Lord, you have got the best asset, the best ally. It's kind of like if you've ever flown, like sometimes it'll say that it'll take you an hour and a half to get to a place. And then you arrive there in 45 minutes. You ask the pilot, what happened? Did you speed? Not if you can speed in the airplane. But he said, No! we got a tailwind that pushed us. Folks, there's no greater tailwind than the Holy Spirit pushing His believers to live for Him. But, if you are not a believer, everything you do will be working against God. And that is one aggressor I don't want anyone to have. So in closing, righteousness is rooted in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But wickedness as a denial of Christ. Without Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we will never be influenced by godly wisdom because He is the key. Do not deny Jesus Christ today. Christians who deny God's wisdom are actually demeaning the work of Jesus Christ in their life. Listen, this is going to be an invitation. And if someone doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I implore you and I beg you, the only way to have this kind of wisdom and have access to it and have it work into your life is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. To say, preacher, I have done everything I tried in my own, own strength and I have messed everything up. And so if this God you're preaching about, this Jesus you're preaching about, can save me and give me this wisdom and give me a clean slate, I'm all for that. If that's for you, come down front and I will lead you to the Lord through prayer. But understand, this passage is also written for those Christians that say that they are Christians and have a half-hearted devotion, but if we deny the work of Christ in our lives, a little or even a lot, it diminishes the work of Jesus Christ. In your life. Is Jesus Christ not working in your life today, believer? Then I would say you're probably not acknowledging Him in all of your ways. Pray that God would show you which ways you need to work on.
If you need prayer, you'd like to join the church, or know Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you come forward at this time? Please stand.